Hello and welcome to the Sound Up Seattle podcast. I'm your host, John Carey, joined as always by my co-host, Tyler Cartwright. Today we've got uh, kind of an interesting pod, a bit of a slow news week in Seattle sports with a couple big headlines. We're going to check in on college basketball before discussing a little bit of uh, UW football action and uh, touch on a couple other things as well. We've got a fun little segment at the end, but we'll bury that lead. Um, but before we get into it all, a little coyote picnic. All right, John, break it down for me. We'll talk college basketball first, get it out of the way. Um, how are the Zags doing? How's the last week been? Uh, it has been a good week. Uh, since we last talked, the Zags are 2-0. and They have whooped up on Pepperdine and San Diego, both wins over 25 points. Um, and they're starting to look like the, their old selves, at least in terms of their WCC performance. Um I want to talk a little bit more about the men's Zags, but I wanted to just give a shout out to the ladies' Zags who also went 2 and 0 this week, including a rivalry win over St. Mary's. They're still 17th in the country, um, sitting on two losses on the year. Yeah, it was interesting looking back through their schedule, how much they mirror the male Zags in terms of, uh, they are undefeated against unranked opponents and, uh, are 0-2 against their only two ranked matchups on the year, which is the reason that, even though they only have two losses, they're sitting at 17. Um, yeah, I don't know what it is about the Zags this year. If there's an, a number on the ticker by, by the other team, they really struggle. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they can pull themselves up. And obviously, they're set to make the tournament. Now, the male Zags. This is a little tricky. <laughs> Am I ready to love again? They, they've ripped off three really nice wins um, since the Santa Clara debacle, which was a one-point loss. It's not like they lost big. Um, and I just, I don't think I'm there yet. Um, they're playing really well. I'm looking, I was looking at their stats the last couple of games and their stats on the season. I really like the spread of their offense. They've got five guys in double figures in terms of point per game. Um, but I just... I'm not sure I believe in the consistency. Nemhard seems to have really settled down into the point guard role, but you know he's not doing it against the highest level of competition. What I need to see from this team before I'm ready to trust them in a real way again is five straight wins. Five straight wins against WCC play, which leads up to the game against number six-ranked Kentucky in mid-February. They can win five straight. They should crack back into the top 25. They've done enough, I think, for that. Um, and then that Kentucky game is going to be huge. But So that's where the Zags are. They're doing well, but they've lost a lot of trust. They're the cheating boyfriend that's been bringing you flowers every day for the last week. It's like <laughs> they're doing good, but that doesn't mean I feel good about it. Yeah, I think the Zags are a little bit more uh, feast or famine than we're, than we're accustomed to. I think they were so consistent for the last yes. few years. Yeah. And I think right now it's like they could have a bad game at any point. And I think feast or famine is the wrong word. It's more famine or feast. Where it's like yes. they, they could have a bad game and that would that would cause them to lose a game to Santa Clara. And it's just a situation like that where they shoot poorly or something something goes awry and that situation can really bite them. And I feel like they had enough consistency the previous, you know, two decades to really avoid stuff like that. Yes. And just one one other statistical thing that really backs up your point. The thing that has been killing them this year more than anything else is their incredibly mediocre three-point shooting. Um, as a team, they're shooting 33% from three. That's not atrocious, but it's certainly not that good. Um, the players shooting the highest percentage from three for them are Anton Watson at 45%. That speaks to a lack of volume, but that's just <laughs> hilarious. We've been wanting that guy to hit a three for the last three years, and now he's our best three-point shooter on the team statistically. Second on the team is Graham E.K., our low post forward at 36%. This is what I'm talking about. Hickman is sitting at 36, which is okay for what he's doing. But we're not even getting it from the guys that should be able to shoot. Like Dusty Stromer was supposed to be a sweet shooter, and he's at 35%. I know he's 
a freshman, but I think that's the biggest issue with this team, and that problem has not gone away. Yeah, I think just it's it's like in the NBA if you if you in in college basketball if you have a bad shooting game it's just kind of going to be the end of your game. Yeah. Um, just with the way basketball is being played nowadays. Yeah, and they're not big enough and good enough defensively to make up for when they're living in the reverse fast break. Yeah. Um, are you good on that? Should I move on to the please, UW and please. Wazoo teams? That's all I wanted to say. Yeah, I figured you wanted to get that one out of the way. Yeah, you were looking for we a, you were looking for a score check. I was looking to rant, so <laughs> I just went ahead and did it. <laughs> uh, UW and Wazoo both go one and one this last weekend against Stanford and Cal. Uh, UW gets the win against Cal in a tight game and then loses to Stanford by ten. And then Wazoo beats Stanford pretty handily, 89-75, and then loses to Cal, 81-75. to um, Wazoo, from what I've seen, their wins come off very big performances by a couple of their key guys. Um, Isaac Jones and Miles Rice are the two that I'm seeing more consistently score or having high-scoring games. Um, Miles Rice scored 35 points in the victory over Stanford. It's like they have big games that come in their wins, and then in their losses, they're just inconsistent. They don't have anybody taking control of the game necessarily. Uh, UW, on the other hand, is just, I just don't think they're good enough. Their, their fringe pieces are not good enough to compete with other teams' fringe pieces. Uh, their shooting's not good enough, and really, like, Keon Brooks is, is the guy, and other teams know that too much now. He's, he's still averaging, I believe it's, uh, yeah, he's averaging like 20.2 points a game, but just nobody else can really bring themselves to elevate when it comes to, when it comes to crunch time because they're swarming Brooks. Um, so it's been a little tough for the, for both of those teams. Uh, UW's, I believe two and five in conference play and Wazoo's three and three or four and four. Yeah. Now what we were hoping for, especially me, I was really hoping the uh, UW loss wouldn't be a blip and now it is appearing that way. So, um, at least they'll have that. They won the interstate rivalry game. Um, but yeah, tough, tough times for, for mainland, uh, Washington college basketball. Yeah. And their, their next two games each are against Colorado and Utah, who we went 0 4 against in the first weekend of conference play. So it's not looking to get any easier, um, before they play each other on, uh, the February 3rd. So going to be an interesting stretch of three games here. I'm sure we'll talk about that, but. It's uh, it's not looking great in terms of men's college basketball in the state of Washington. Yep, likely one tournament team if the Zags can get their shit together. Yeah. Uh, in terms of women's basketball, it's not looking great either. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> the Pac-12 be doing Pac-12 stuff. Yeah. Uh, UW women's basketball is 2-4 and four in conference, and they have lost five of their last six games total. Um, they did split against the Arizona schools. Arizona, they beat 62-60, to 60, and then they lost to Arizona State. Um, Wazoo actually does pretty well. They're on a three-game win streak. They beat both Arizona uh, teams pretty handily. Um, yeah, not much to say here. They're both very mediocre Pac-12 basketball teams, and it's just it's just kind of looking that way. It's going to be interesting seeing how they, these teams can fare next year when the conferences change up a little Correct. bit. Correct. That is going to be a challenge, but likely will help recruiting in certain ways. Yes. Um, yeah, that, that that change is going to be very interesting to think about. You know, we, we talk about football all the time, but these, these changes for other athletes, like the basketball players, are going to be very, very big because they're yeah. playing two games a week for basically, you know, four or five months. Correct. And instead of a, a quick flight down to Sacramento, it's going to be, yeah, something. Flying to Maryland or Rutgers. Isn't that insane? <laughs> I can't believe. Um, yeah, that was the big story, you know, regarding the, the change outside of football. It's just like it kind of screws everybody else. Yeah. But, uh, problem for another day there. Um, moving on to the Kraken. They are 0-2 since our last discussion, losing 4-2 to the Edmonton Oilers and 3-1 to their Toronto Maple Leafs. Damn Canucks really let us have it this time. <laughs> um, and so this, your pessimism from our last discussion is looking more warranted. Uh, after that wonderful nine-game win streak, they have now lost four in a row. Um, they're dropped back down to fifth in the Pacific and um, just haven't looked very sharp uh, defensively. The defense and their new goalkeeper, his name's slipping me, have not looked as sharp recently. And their offense has put up a combined three goals in in two games and a combined five goals over the last four, which is all you really need to look at to explain the losing streak. So 
hopefully they can round back into form, but I don't have a whole lot more to say about them other than, come on, guys. Yeah, um, there was a, there was a bit of a kerfuffle with, I believe it was a member of the Oilers a few days ago. Hmm. Um, he's, I think it's McDavid, and he's a really good player, um, one of the best in hockey, and Yanni Gord got into it with him a little bit and got suspended for two games for checking, um, which was, I think... In my mind, I think that was actually pretty good because it just showed they've still got that fire. They're upset about these losses yeah. and trying to get back into it. And Yanni's still a kid. Yeah. So I, I, I think they're they're trying to push back, but I just don't think they have the talent, like I said, um, early on in the year and then in response to the, the couple of losses last week. I just think they're maybe a year or two away before being truly, truly competitive again. Um, and yeah, these other, you know, four straight losses just means all these other teams are getting further and further ahead of them and we're not scoring any points. So looking tough for postseason and, um, going to be, going to be an interesting stretch of the rest of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's been quite bipolar these last 13 games. It'll be interesting to see if Fiat continues to be boom or bust or if they settle a little more in one direction or the other. Um, anything else you want to say on the Kraken? No, let's get into the big stuff. I know. Finally, I'm excited. So <laughs> the biggest news in the week in terms of Washington sports has been uh, the recommitment. I, I'm not going to... You told me about this. You go ahead. Yeah. Um, so early this week, and it is January 24th on Wednesday, for those of you that know when we record this, uh, Jed Fish had a big meeting with the current members of the UW football team and potential transfers, um, people that were thinking about transferring um, and basically just like rallied the guys. I think it was Monday or maybe it was late last week, but it was, it was a few days ago and just an entire like resurgence of the team happened. And just everybody was posting on Twitter, Instagram, all this stuff. They were like, Oh yeah, I'm back in all these guys. Um, And just a day ago. So Tuesday, um, Rogers recommitted. He had been in the transfer portal. Who was this? Is the Mississippi State quarterback that Will was transferring? Rogers, correct. Yes. Um, and so he, yeah, he basically got out of the transfer portal. Is staying at UW. So we've got a really solid quarterback staying, and we've got um, the Arizona running back transferred to UW. I think we're getting like we're getting a good core here coming over. Yes. So there's a lot to digest here. Obviously, a lot is still in flux with the big moves to bore out and fish in. Um, but this was great. Um, I was very excited to hear about it. You let me know. Not necessarily surprising that he was able to rally the way that he did. He is known as a recruiter. That may be his greatest talent as a as a coach. And, you know, if you're somebody that can convince a kid to go to your school, you're obviously somebody with a bit of charisma. So that was great. That's very exciting. Um, Rogers, Will Rogers, is about as solid of an option as you can have at the position. He's a fourth or fifth year senior this year. Fifth year. I think he had an injury year where he only played a few games, and so yep. he could take another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and has a ton of experience uh, in the SEC, so I think he's going to be very pleased throwing against Pac-12 secondaries. Or I suppose he'll be throwing against Big Ten secondaries. Yeah. Um, but still. Uh, and... Yeah, any other players that decide to come back, that's fantastic. I did want to talk about, so that's the optimistic take, and it's very warranted. That's the biggest position in the sport, and mm. now we've really locked that up for this season. Um, but I want to talk about the fact that, you know, there has been a ton of movement towards the transfer portal. Seven of the top 15 recruits from the 2024 class have gone into the portal, um, including their top three offensive line recruits. Um, part of the reason for that is that Scott Huff, who was the offensive line coach for the team and very highly regarded, is following to board Alabama um, and is being replaced by Brendan Carroll. Brennan Carroll? Um, Pete Carroll's son. Fun oh, fact, wow. for those that don't know. He is going to be the new offensive coordinator for the UW Huskies as well as their offensive line coach. I just said something about the Huskies you didn't know. Yeah, proud of you, buddy. You are welcome for that. <laughs> So that's kind of cool, getting the, the Carroll connection in Seattle. Um, but obviously, he doesn't have uh, the experience or clout that Scott Huff had. Um, so I am a little worried about the offensive line. All five starters from the offensive line that played in the championship game are leaving the school, two to the NFL draft and three to the portal. Um, so that is a point of concern. 
Um, you know, fish has a lot of time to, you know, figure that out. But uh, I think that's maybe where the team's going to feel the blow biggest in terms of what could have been. Yeah. Thinking about that, what I remember from playing against Arizona was that their quarterback was pretty mobile. And so he probably didn't have a ton of offensive line talent at Arizona to, to you know, call upon to come over. Yes. Uh, and I know their quarterback was also pretty mobile in general. So to be fair, I haven't watched any Will Rogers tape. Um, and I don't know if you have either, but he doesn't strike me as one of the more uh, mobile quarterbacks. He's not a, you know, Jaden Daniels type or anything like that. I think he's more of a pocket passer and more of a Penix type of guy. Um, and so having a good line is going to be very crucial and making these adjustments is going to be a very, very big step for fish in these upcoming months. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's really tough to know what's going to happen because we've still got a bunch of time before the season kind of gets underway. Spring ball will start pretty soon, but we've got at least, you know, two or three months to, to worry about it. And while he figures that out, I, I believe in him. I think he'll have time to, to get things going. And uh, sounds like Pete Carroll will have somebody to help coach. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One more reason to stay in Seattle. Um, love for him to become an assistant. He can be D.C. if he That would it. be lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Um, speaking of Arizona quarterbacks, I just wanted to note that um, their 2024 recruit, Desmond Williams, is following Fish. Oh, wow. Know? And we've known that since before the Rodgers commitment. So the thought was, if Rodgers was going to leave, we were going to put this freshman at the helm, which is not ideal. Um, he's a true freshman. Yeah. So this is kind of the best of both worlds. Desmond Williams, if you don't know, he's a quality recruit. He's a four-star that committed to Arizona uh, in the fall and is now coming with Fish to UW. He's going to back up Will Rogers this year, um, which I think will be great for him. You know, backing up a fifth-year senior comes from the SEC. Um, and then he'll have a chance, likely, to take the reins next season. Um, he's good. He's talented. Great legs. He's mobile. Um, plays the position a little different than Rogers does, but... If the offensive line can't get back up to its DeBoer level, it will be nice to have a quarterback coming in that uh, watched a lot of Arizona tape last year and yep. also has has the legs to make it work. Yeah, I and I think that's a great play, great place to kind of end the discussion on UW. Um, they're in a good spot right now, and I think it's going to take a little bit of work to get things kind of get the glue put together. But I think the defense coming back is going to be huge. Um, obviously, the line is going to need some work. And I think there's not a ton of receivers that I've heard of for UW's team coming in. Um, and I haven't, and I'm sure, uh, Fish is working that transfer portal, but I think it's going to be interesting if we can, if we can develop these either transfer portal receivers or see if we can get some recruits coming in. Um, yeah, I, I'm excited to read more and, and learn more about how these, how this recruiting process goes because it's going to be, that's going to be the key for this offense. I think Rodgers is going to need people to throw to. Um, I think the defense will be decent, um, probably as good as they were last year, which isn't saying much, but that's what you can ask for. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And yeah, a lot of, a lot of positions are going to need, you know, kind of revamping after this year's team. We were talking about that, about when you have a team this talented and this old, it's going to get cleared out. And so when I was speaking about the offensive line needing the most revamping, that was because they lost a lot to the portal, obviously the receiving core is going to look completely different, but that's, that was a given. Yeah. All those guys were going to the draft. So, um, yeah, it'll be fun to see. I'm excited that fish has at least been able to inspire some confidence within the locker room. Hopefully he can continue to do it on the recruiting trail. Um, transfer portal goes both ways. Um, so I'd like to see him active in that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, go dogs. Good news. Go dogs. All right, John. You ready for this fun segment? We should, we're gonna we're gonna have a little shorter pod today, which I appreciate. We probably needed to cut it down to below an hour for the first time in a month and a half. Uh, so for this next section of the pod, what we are gonna do is John and I have each prepared two questions for each other to just talk about um, Seattle sports related, obviously, and it can be anything. It could be Seattle SuperSonics return. It could be the Seahawks and how their future looks. It could be UW football, Wazoo. What's Cam Ward gonna do? I don't know what John's got on his plate, but he's going to get to go first because I feel like he's more prepared than me. I am certainly more prepared. I've got two good ones for you. Two good ones with research. <laughs> um, 
and they're both pretty subjective, but I'm just curious on your takes on both of them. So the first question for you is, next year, 2024, the UW Huskies are going to be playing football in the Big Ten. I do not yet know if they're going to be in the Big Ten East or the Big Ten West. I would assume West. I would hope. <laughs> yeah, but if they're only bringing in two schools um, or four schools. I think they're bringing in four. Yeah, but they're all they're all West, unless yeah. they reshuffle and move to some of the That's true. West teams to the East. Regardless, um, in the Big Ten East, the top the four teams were Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Maryland at 15-0. 11 and 2, 10 and 3, 8 and 5. In the Big Ten West, we had Iowa at 10 and 4, Northwestern at 8 and 5, Wisconsin at 7 and 6. So very much top heavy in the East. Um, but we've got four teams that got over 10 wins, um, two teams with eight, two teams with seven. So that's eight teams with winning records. With the influx of these new teams, with the turnover that UW has experienced, where do you think of that top eight? I'm not assuming they're going to fall below that. Of those top eight, and let's put in Oregon there for nine, UW makes ten. So in the top ten teams in the Big East, or the Big East, the Big Ten, where do you think UW will rank next season? Okay, so my immediate immediate first, first gut reaction was five. Five. Um, I think... The loss of so many key players and just in general the regression. I was I was thinking we would have you know like a if if you play I think it's thirteen games in the regular season or I guess maybe that includes bowl games, but um, I was thinking like a nine and three or nine and four season type of thing, um, and I feel like that puts us right square at the five. Like I think Oregon is probably going to be better than us next year. Mm. I think Michigan That's very reasonable just yeah. based on what we're losing and what they're losing. Yeah, um, I think Michigan. Even with the loss of Jim Harbaugh to the Chargers, I think their talent is still there and their recruiting and everything is still there. It'll be interesting to see if that opens up, if we see a lot of transfers out of Michigan once Harbaugh's gone. I don't really know his how his presence there has affected he was that kind of huge. recruiting. His whole thing about going to Michigan was that he totally revitalized their recruiting. So that could be massive. The downside being teams don't typically transfer away from the team that just won the national title. Yes. And the other side of that is it's the recruiting and not necessarily the transfer portal that Harbaugh was good at. Mm -hmm. And so maybe we'll get a lot of like a few of the players that were currently there, but I still think the people that wanted to go to Michigan, it's not like Harbaugh went to another college football team. He went to the NFL. There's nowhere to follow him to. Yeah. Um, And so that's a very good point. That's a very good point. Yeah. so I think I think Michigan's still going to be decent and probably compete with us. I don't think they'll be national championship caliber next year either, um, especially with McCarthy leaving. And I believe Corum was a senior. Um, their line's going to be great, obviously, both on both sides of the ball. Uh, and that's just kind of Big Ten football right there. Mm. I think like Iowa next year is probably going to give us a lot of trouble just with their defense and us still not being very certain about our offensive line, as you just said. Iowa solid. Um, and then Ohio State's always good. Penn State's always good. I feel like that's kind of where we're going to end up is around like the Iowa Penn State marks where it's like, we're not great, but we could, if we continue kind of what we're expecting and what we've talked about so far, I could see us falling in that realm of like a, you know, being like the number 20 team in the nation. Nice. Yeah. I think, I think that's super reasonable. Well done with your <laughs> zero prep time. <laughs> um, I think that's right. I think UW next year has an actual pretty narrow range of ceiling and floor. I think they there is a hard ceiling at four. Um, I could be wrong, and I would love to be wrong, but with so much change, oh my goodness, the amount of change. Different conference, different coach, just all kinds of stuff going on, people coming in and out, so many old vets gone. I can't imagine them finishing above the defending national championship an Ohio State and an Oregon team that are just really solid and locked in and didn't lose as much. Um, so I think four is as high as they could be. And I have a hard time seeing them much lower than six. Um, I guess seven, because Iowa and Penn State would be those next two that are, you know, those are perpetual eight, nine, ten win teams. Um, and I could see them beating us out. But is this team going to finish below Maryland, Rutgers, Wisconsin? Probably not. Yeah, I think what it is is the low end of the Big Ten is pretty low. 
Like the Pac-12 yes. is very competitive. I feel like throughout it, Indiana was three and nine this year. Yeah, and I just think yeah that that comparison there is is an interesting one because it's so top heavy, but it's also so bottom light. It's like yeah the 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 floor for the uh, for a decent team in the Big Ten is probably that like number ten spot that you're talking about. Like I think UW at minimum is going to be what is whatever that is eight and six eight. And, Eight and five. Yeah. Like I just think the the bad teams in the Big Ten, and we I think we only play in terms of the the big teams. I think we play Michigan, Penn State, and Oregon next year. I don't think we play Ohio State. I don't know if I've seen Iowa on our schedule. I would have to look it up. Yeah, it's the thing with the Big Conference. You're not playing everybody every year. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it'll be nice. Those are going to be some pretty big games. Fun to watch. Yeah. Michigan's going to be early, and I think Oregon is our uh, our. Post Thanksgiving game, I think the Wazoo game is earlier next year. That's so lame having Michigan early <laughs> national championship rematch, and you're going to make this new head coach do it with a team I mean, two new head coaches out. and two yeah. new quarterbacks. It's yeah, going yeah, yeah. to be like very, very interesting. Touche. Yeah, talk about a, a rematch that will not have nearly the emotional stakes you think it would. Yeah, so many guys are going to be. Like, I think that the fans are going to be more into it than the players. Correct. Correct. Yeah, right, that's a good one. Um, all right, good answer. Do you want my second question, or do you want to shoot one off? No, I'll I'll, I'll get one to you. Um, okay, we've talked a lot about the Seahawks and the coaching changes that we want, and how mediocre they've been over the last few years. Um, the Seahawks are so close in my mind to being a contender, but they're also so close to being a six and 11 team. They're kind of right in that middle ground. It's kind of a very, very precipitous spot to be in. Um, My question is twofold. How many moves do you think the Seahawks need to make to become a contender? And potentially what are those? There's not not a lot of time to think about it, but how many moves do you think they need to make? And does the coach really have anything to do with that? We've talked a lot about the coaches the last couple of weeks. Yes. But, you know, of the three or four people that we've that we've heard that are into the discussion, does that really change much? Uh I think I think it does. Um so if Dan Quinn or Ben Johnson come in, I do not believe there are any realistic moves the Seahawks could make to contend next year. Um I think both of them are too scheme dependent. Um, Ben Johnson, who I really like and really want them to get, he's an offensive guy and he needs to build out an offense. The only way that their offense can be contender level next year, in my mind, is if they move on from Geno and get a solid veteran quarterback. I don't think this draft is loaded and I want them to get a quarterback, but any, you know, rookie they bring in isn't going to be ready to lead a contending offense. Um, so they'd have to go out and get a Kirk Cousins type. Um, Kirk is the name that jumps into my mind. That was the first name that popped into my mind, too. Okay, yeah. I, I'm not sure how many other of those guys are available. Um, and Kirk is even a guy with question marks. You know, How much better is Kirk Cousins than Geno Smith? I, I, I really don't know. So I hope that's not the route they take, um, but that's the only way I can see it happening under Quinn or Johnson, because in either case, I really think they would need a really solid offense. Rabel is a little more interesting. Once again, uh, Johnson would be my first choice for quarterback, but Rabel is the best coach in the bunch um, and has shown for many years in Tennessee an ability to lift a team above its level of talent with a mediocre quarterback and have a team that can win playoff games. It wasn't that long ago that these Titans were beating Lamar Jackson's Ravens in the playoff. Um, so... If we got Vrabel, I think this team could contend next year as built. Once again, I think getting a guy like Kirk would help at quarterback, but Vrabel has shown a dedication to the ground game, Pete Carroll-esque there, um, which I think would be good because Kenneth Walker and Charbonnet are a strength of this team, Um, and also an ability to really turn defenses around and let game-managing quarterbacks not screw up. Um, so if we got Vrabel, I think this team would be best primed to contend next year. So I, I think that I've, I've thought similar things. 
if you think you think if we get a Vrabel type or somebody who's more of a ready coach, do you think we take a lineman or something of that nature with our first pick? Um, I've seen a lot of JJ McCarthy, which I really don't love as our as our pick in the mock drafts. Um, yeah, do you think do you think we kind of steer towards sticking with Geno and go for a signing if we go for a more seasoned veteran head coach, or do you think? we kind of stick with the same program because I know the ownership wants to go for a new quarterback. That's kind of yes. what the whole reason Pete's gone. Correct. Um, so yeah, what are your thoughts on that? I hope, I very much hope that they think long-term and draft a quarterback. We talked about this before. This draft is loaded. Um, and one thing I think I may not have mentioned, the value you can get getting a quality quarterback in a late round, it's twofold. I think I mentioned the fact that obviously you don't have to spend the same level of draft capital to get the guy. But simultaneously, the deals, the way that rookie deals work in the NFL, the later you're drafted, the less you are paid. And you don't have the control over the player for the same amount of time, so payday would come sooner. But those first you know, three, four years would be significantly cheaper if you can get a first-round quality quarterback in the third or fourth round. Um, so I think it depends. I think how the draft plays out is going to be a big factor. Um, if, you know, Bo Nix is going to be the last pick in the first round, then okay, maybe not this year after all. But if Bo Nix is sitting at the table in the third round, yeah, take Bo Nix. Would you take Penix if he was at the table in the third round? Absolutely. Absolutely. My only concern really is that I already love him so dearly for what he's done for Washington sports. I don't want to put him in a position to let me down. <laughs> That's fair. Does that make, and that sounds horrible. Yeah. Because yeah. obviously if they could have had him and then he goes to Cleveland and is awesome, I'd be like, why did we not bring our guy back? <laughs> but I, I always want to have good feelings about Penix. Um, the Penix Knicks debate in terms of pro level is an interesting one. Yeah. Well, I, and I think they're about the same draft stock right Agre- now. Agreed, agreed. Just because, yeah, Penix's injury history and, and things of that nature, and but Bo Knicks was is above just. Him. So much more consistent and kind of a he has a very a, a higher floor I think is what I would say for for Knicks I think that's right a higher floor I would say a lower ceiling yes I think Penix will go before Knicks yes I think Knicks is a more realistic pick um, for for Seattle yeah. I also think the nice thing about their situation with Gino is unless they can get value for him in the trade market which I I don't necessarily think. Um, Talk about a great guy to learn learn behind for a couple of years. Yeah. He spent a lot of years of his career learning behind veteran quarterbacks. He strikes me as the kind of guy that would be happy to teach and be a good teacher. So, yeah, um, I yeah, that is my number one hope in this next draft. I hope they improve their offensive line. I hope they improve their defense. But I really hope they spend some early draft capital to grab one of these awesome, awesome quarterbacks. Yeah, I agree. And I think, yeah, to go off of learning from Geno, uh, him and Drew Locke seem to have a great relationship, yeah. and I would expect that quarterback room to just be full of good vibes. And I think that's 100%. that's huge for a young quarterback coming into the league. I think nice, being in like the Jordan Love versus Aaron Rodgers thing is probably weighed way. And Jordan Love's been great, but it probably weighed very heavily on him uh, early on, just because of the way that Rodgers handled that. Well, from um, everything I heard, Rodgers was spicy early, but he really came around and mentored the shit out of Jordan Love. Which is why when you watch him, you see so much of Rodgers, yeah. the way he plays. Because I, I, I just thought this was a cool story. I, I know a lot of Packers fans, but apparently there's a story about, yeah, he was being a, a salty little baby about it. <laughs> and uh, somebody in management basically sat him down and was like, hey, do you remember like the way Brett Favre like, put his arm around you and like coached you up for those years? Like You need to do that for Jordan. Like We're not getting rid of you, but you need to be able to look ahead and like be a coach. And apparently he really took it to heart, so... Uh, hopefully a similar situation. Nice thing too about getting, because we're not going to get one of the top guys, um, but getting a guy like a Knicks or a Penix who's not like a guaranteed, this guy is taking my job. You know, a third round quarterback, maybe it doesn't work out. You know, maybe he has issues. So that might take a little of the sting off too of like, hey, coach this guy up. Maybe he's taking your job in a couple years, but maybe not. Yeah. Yep. All right. Fire away. Question number two. Okay. Question number two. And this one is also a little context-driven. The last time the Gonzaga Bulldogs lost 
to the Santa Clara whatever the hells Mustangs. I don't. I don't know. I don't that care. Sounds right. I don't. I don't care. The sounds Santa, like a high school team. The Santa Clarites <laughs> um, was in the 2011-2012 season. The following season, 2012-13, was the first season in Gonzaga basketball history where they finished the year ranked number one in the country. Um, I want to read you over the course of these last 11 years uh, their end-of-season AP poll rankings, and then I'm going to ask you my question. Okay. So 2012-13, they were ranked one. Next was 25, then 7, 25, then 2, 8, then 4, then 2, then 1. God, I can't look at this. Then 1 again. <laughs> oh, the glory days. And then 9. <laughs> and this year, they're currently ranked 23. That can't be right. Uh, they still have them. Oh, only through week 10, and now they're on. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, So, next year, in your mind as an unbiased third party, at the end of next season, what do you think the Gonzaga Bulldog men basketball, men's basketball team will be ranked in the AP poll, if at all? At the end of next season. Correct. This question is very much historically driven. Hmm. Um, and I think the problem with it is basketball is, and college basketball specifically has changed so much with the transfer portal that it's tough to say, okay, the things that happened from 2012 to 2023 will happen again. Correct. Uh, the other side of that is the turnover will probably be very massive from this year's team in the sense of the impact guys. I think, is Nemhard a senior? Yes. And then Nemhard, so is Watson. Watson and EK will be gone. Yeah. And so you've got your two, you know, highest scoring, best shooting players. <laughs> uh, uh, that's true. what we call a callback there. <laughs> those are, those, both of those statements are correct. <laughs> um, and you've got your point guard, and they're all, they're all leaving. And so you need to replace them. And Few has shown very, very, you know, he's a very talented coach in terms of recruiting high-profile players as freshmen. But he's only been able to recruit one or two of those guys a year. Um, and I think that's because of his commitment to them. And he's been able to build recently because he's had guys who want to stay for four years and want to improve and are really college players, like EK and Watson probably are not big NBA guys. Yeah. And so the, he gets these guys that will stay for four years and have consistency. Yes. Um, and I think just the last few years with Chet, with Suggs, with uh, even Julian Strother for, for, I guess, for himself, he was a junior sophomore, right? Yeah, he was a three-year guy. Um, you, you just had guys leave. Like, imagine if those guys were still around. Like, mm. that was what, I think that's what built his teams back in the day, um, or I guess back in the last decade. Uh, so I would say... Purely based off Gonzaga's previous history and ability to recruit, I think they end up somewhere around 22. That would be my bet. I think that's a reasonable bet. Um, Yeah, losing a lot of the top-end talent. It is worth noting that this is a team with, like, yeah, three super seniors and then, like, seven freshmen or sophomores. Like, it is a pretty young team. Um and I am intrigued by another year of development for all these young guys, including some of the guys that don't even play, like June and Krajnovich, yeah, who I was excited about in the preseason. Um, both those guys may be big parts of this team next year. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, because you're 100% right, I think the reason the transfer portal is so big for a team like Gonzaga is you're right. Fuse done a good job recruiting some big names and – you know, they've gotten some great overseas, you know, pros, you know, looking at Sabonis and and uh, Hachimura and the like. But he is also, Few has been so good at bringing in incredibly talented junior and senior transfers and turning them into NBA players. That, that was Jonathan Williams made the NBA. Brandon Clark made the NBA. Um a ton of names flown through my mind. I can't think of Wiltshire. Kyle Wiltshire had a stint in the NBA, another big transfer. Um, obviously, Nigel Williams Goss got a cup of coffee with the Utah Jazz. Um, so those have been huge, huge pieces of these Gonzaga teams that were really good. And in the single year of the transfer portal's existence, we did get a guy that I was super pumped about in Ryan Nemhard. I thought he was going to be on that level, and in my mind, he has turned out not to be. It's not his fault. Um, but it'll be interesting to see 
does the transfer portal make that go away? Because that was a staple of Gonzaga basketball. There was always one senior player who transferred from another school but had a ton of talent and was, you know, one of the three best guys on the team. Every single year there was one of those guys. So I don't know whether or not that stays or whether or not that goes with the new transfer portal and NIL system. Um, I think 22 is reasonable. I'm optimistic that that is the low end. I think they'll finish somewhere around 22 this year. Um, and even losing those guys, I do think those guys are replaceable. Like Nemhard, last year losing some of those guys, it's like, how are we going to replace, you know, Timmy and Strother? It's like, I'm not that worried about replacing Nemhard. It's going to be tough, but we're going to do it. Um, I think we finish somewhere around 13. That's, that's totally reasonable too. I think. Gosh, we're too reasonable, man. <laughs> the other side of the transfer portal is, um, <laughs> You know, you can get people coming in. You can also get people leaving, like Hunter Salas. Correct. And so when it comes to that, it's like you've got all these young guys that you're talking about. And few has to be honest with them and say, hey, I'm going to be trying to get people in this transfer portal. Mm-hmm. And so you're probably going to lose, you know, three of these young freshmen to the transfer portal as well. Um, you just have to hope that they're not the high, higher profile ones that have been getting good run. Yeah. Um, you know, you have to think a Stromer is going to stick around. Um well, yeah. Well, the the good and bad part of that is I don't think we're going to lose as much as you think because our youngest talent has not looked very good. Uh, Stromer's gotten the most playing time of any of our freshmen by far, but um, June and Krasnovich have both been on the court and have just looked not necessarily ready. Um, they've looked pretty raw, um, which is, you know, a negative in terms of how good they could be next year. But it also means, you know, Part of the reason Hunter Salas left is he played on like three straight teams that made it to the Elite Eight and was showing these flashes of athleticism and defensive brilliance. And so these teams are like, yes, give us that guy. We don't have really any of those guys this year. Hickman's not going to leave because he's going to be the number one guard on Gonzaga next year. I don't know who else. I guess Ben I guess Ben Gregg and Braden Huff would be my two concerns about being poached. Um they just both seem like few guys, so uh, yeah. I'm not sure. There are guys like like June and uh, like I I think of him as you're saying you know he has he's a little raw right now, but being the primary guy on a team that's not very good or hasn't been good for a while is probably better for his development on his own than it would be to stay with Gonzaga just because of the amount of run that he would probably get. It'd probably be the same amount of time on the court as this year, mm-hmm. and there's guys like that who don't want that they want to improve and be the number one guy just because that's kind of how it's worked that's how UW's lost a couple of their like fringe players these last couple of years to the transfer portal and they've Sahonis is killing it down in California on a you know I think it's like on a might, might be a WCC team but he's scoring like you know 25 points a game mm-hmm. he was our backup point guard last year it's yeah. just like there's there's a lot of guys with a lot of talent who can play at different levels for different teams. And that's totally fair. And one great example of that would be like an Omar Balo. Yes. Who couldn't sniff the court at Gonzaga. He couldn't sniff it. And is now arguably one of the best centers in college basketball for Arizona. He has been awesome for them the last couple of years. I'm still mystified. Like, did he meet an old man at a crossroads somewhere <laughs> and strike a bargain? I I really don't get it. But um I, I don't think you see as much of that at Gonzaga as you'd think. I think Salas is a really unique case. Maybe that's just the new transfer portal and that's how it's going to be from now on. But I also think it was a situation where, you know, we knew who our two starting guards were going to be. I don't know why it's Hickman over Salas. I never agreed with that. If you didn't ask me. Um, but we had the two lead guards and there was a chance that, um, I can't remember the name of our third guard last year. Is it Malachi Flynn? Malachi, thank you. Um, yeah, that Malachi would come back, and then you know he'd be the fourth card again. And, and he was really good last year. Yeah. He was really good last year, and he was a four star recruit. And it was just like there's no real place for him on this team, even though I know if you liked him. Um, I and that's that's kind of like Omar Balo, but we also just didn't like him. <laughs> Krasnovich and June, I think both those guys have real talent and few wants them on this team and there's a place for them. I think there's going to be, there's a huge gaping hole at this team at the three right now. We're missing steel venters like everybody's business, but um, they're just not ready. 
when they are ready, the spot is there waiting for them, you know? So I, I don't – the team is pretty balanced. Even guys like Greg and Huff, it's like, hey, guys, we're losing Watson and EK. Those are their starting position next yeah. year, unless they bring in a bunch of new big transfers. So I'm not necessarily as worried about the transfer portal this year. We've yet to see a zag who could start leave. That's fair. That's fair. God damn, I'm eloquent. How do I do it? <laughs> you just talk to me so much. It runs <laughs> off you. <laughs> Touche. Um, okay, one more question. All right, so I have not written this down. I came up with this earlier in the pod, uh, and I'm just going to wing it. So there's no there's no prep. There's, <laughs> we, we started, we started before I was ready <laughs> because we were just so excited to start talking. Um, so my question for you is what, if any, and this is a very, very general, broad question, would you change about the Seattle sports scene besides getting a basketball team? Mm, yeah, that's the easy one. What would I change about the Seattle sports scene? Oh, um, this actually might be easier than you would think it is. I actually do think this is pretty easy. Um, I'm pretty satisfied with the Seattle sports scene. Obviously, the Seahawks have been, you know, really, really solid over the course of our lifetime. Um, we're getting a basketball team set in stone, and we'll have to see what that looks like before we complain about it. <laughs> um, we've got Gonzaga for college basketball. We've got UW for college football. Those are perennial powerhouses. Um, if I could change one thing about the Washington sports world, I would get new ownership for the Seattle Mariners. I can't stand their ownership. I That's, think, what a great answer, John. <laughs> I think they're, I think they're cheap as hell. And I also think it, what's so frustrating is we live in a city with billionaires all over the place. Yeah. And none of them have been like, I'm going to turn this team into one of the best teams in baseball. Maybe that's not very attractive prospect to billionaires, but Obviously, you know, they're not the Dodgers or the Yankees, but we, why are there why are there rich assholes in Houston that are willing to throw more money around than there are in Seattle? It's it's frankly embarrassing. Yeah. Every Seattle team should be owned by one of these tech billionaires and they should all be willing to pay. Bill Gates, get off your lazy ass, stop building wells in Africa <laughs> and start helping us hit some dingers out of T Mobile. Um I think I think it's pretty easy. New and wealthy ownership <laughs> for the Seattle. Fuck it. Sell them to the fucking oil barons of Texas. I don't care who owns it. Let's get a Russian oligarch in here. Let's just get some money on this team. Yeah, I think with owners in general, they're billionaires, but they're billionaires because they're kind of cutthroat and don't care about anything besides making money. Yeah, and so in yeah. that regard, it's tough to be like, hey, you should spend $500 million on a baseball team that's going to generate four hundred fifty million dollars. You're gonna you're gonna be generating or operating at a loss, and billionaires just are like, no, we can't do that. That's not what I do, and so that's a hundred percent fair. And it's worth noting that you know it kind of depends. It's like success gets you more income. Like the Golden State Warriors are worth thirty times more now than they were a decade ago, and that's yes. because of their success. Um, but I also think there are two kinds of billionaires. You're a hundred percent right about that. All these owners are rich. Um, and there are those penny pinching, like all they've ever done is save every cent, which is why they're billionaires. What we need to get is one of the other kind, one of the Steve Ballmer types, where they were like just hardworking and smart and just picked the right lottery ticket of a starting job and just found themselves billionaires one day. Like Ballmer, does, Ballmer seems like he knows how to have a good time. Um, yeah, I mean, he's only owns the Clippers and he's just like dropping dropping money left and right for uh, correct for. James Harden, Kawhi, Paul George, and Russell Westbrook. Yeah, their luxury tax is ridiculous over there. If Steve Ballmer wants to buy that Mariners, that'd be that'd be sick. But yeah. we need a Ballmer type. Yes. He's also freaking Steve Ballmer is a Seattle guy. <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> Don't buy an LA team, bro. Uh, frustrating. Yeah. Uh, my answer to this uh, was developed while you were talking. <laughs> <laughs> You're quick on your feet. I'll give you that. And it is, we need more Portland sports teams. We need rivals. Ah, we need oh, rivals. I like Seattle that. sports teams don't have rivalries. Like the Yankees Red Sox rivalry is so big. Like the Seahawks have the 49ers, but the 49ers also hate the Rams 
and the Cardinals, like I, you know, don't underestimate Seahawks Niners. I know it's been a couple of years, but like the Crabtree Sherman, that was the best rivalry in professional sports. And, and I'm not underrating it, but that's our best rivalry right there. Yeah, and may, maybe yeah. Mariners Astros right now too. But like, I don't think they see us that way. <laughs> no, and that, that's the thing. We hate the Astros. We hate the Blue Jays because they always come down and fill up T-Mobile. Drink but it's like beer. we don't we don't have a team like. That's close enough yeah, for us yeah. to care about and be our rivals because Portland has a basketball team. And you have you heard of like the Sounders Timbers rivalry? Like it's huge. Oh, it's huge. It's very big. And I, I feel like if yeah. that were the case in baseball or if we had, like when we get a basketball team, that's going to be the next big thing is that rivalry there. UW Oregon is huge. Um, UW yeah. Oregon is huge. I just, I just see that as being a major shift in the, the atmosphere of sports in Seattle. That's a really good answer. I like that. The Oregon, UW Oregon is a great point. Um, my concern is that Portland is just such a small market. Like you've seen what the, Tim- the Timberwolves, the um, Trailblazers have been for these last couple of years. Um, when we get a basketball team, I would like to think that we're perpetually finishing above the Blazers. Um, and, you know, we're complaining about cheap ownership. Because we also live in a city with some of the richest people in the world. Portland has a, you know, they can't complain quite as easily about rich ownership because I don't think there are a lot of billionaires lining up to own a team in Portland, Oregon. Um, I'm concerned that it just wouldn't be as competitive as we would like it to be, even if those teams existed, you know? Like, Oregon is Nike. I guess, yeah, maybe Phil Knight. Maybe Phil Knight buys a football team. I don't know. Give Vancouver a team. I don't like. It could be Vancouver. It could be big. Vancouver would be baseball. Sick. Get the um, yeah. Get the Vancouver Grizzlies back. Tennessee doesn't deserve them. Yeah, I just yeah. I think I think rivalries are so much bigger than we think they are because we live in Seattle. Uh, and yeah, I just think developing those takes a long time. But like the Astros are are well on their way to being our number one most hated rival. Hundred percent. Um, and I think more teams like that. You know, especially Locally, in the football or yeah. like local teams, would just make it that much better. Local rivalries are very fun. Yeah. You're right about that. That's what college sports are for. <laughs> All right. Anything else? No. I think I think we covered it. That was fantastic. Great job. Great job, us, man. We're so good at this. It's so talented. All right. If you enjoyed this episode of Sound Up Seattle, please feel free to give us a follow on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Uh, you can find Sound Up Seattle on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram, all at Sound Up Seattle, all lowercase, all one word. You can find me, Tyler, at Tycart50, everywhere that's important. And you can find John currently watching his Phoenix Suns come back against the Dallas Mavericks. They were down like 12 when we started the pod. Big comeback. That's huge. They're up, what, 16 now? Killing it. Nice work. Um, I guess all that is to say, let's go squids. Go squids, baby. Turn it around. <laughs>